Please note, in this episode we will be discussing the treatment of prisoners, which some listeners may find upsetting. The suffragettes, a lot of them were working class and they saw that the system had no time for them. There was no point trying to get their aims within the accepted rules of behaviour. You need to be a bit more creative and Hilda Burkett certainly was. <laughs> In 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums, we're delving into the collections to discover objects that can tell us stories about the past and make us think about the present and future. I'm Rachel Roberts, Collections Registrar at Lancaster City Museums. In today's episode, we are looking at a medal which was given to somebody who was jailed for protesting for the right to vote. It can tell us a part of the experience of people who felt they needed to break the law to get their voice heard. Today's object is a Suffragette Hunger Strike Medal. Suffragettes was the name given to the members of the Women's Social and Political Union who were part of the Votes for Women campaign in the early 20th century. They were not the only group fighting for women to get the right to vote, and not all campaigners were suffragettes, but their methods and impact mean that they are one of the best-known groups today. Some women had been asking for the vote for decades, but the WSPU was set up by Emmeline Pankhurst in 1903, and the group aimed to bring attention to the cause through protest and action, including things which were against the law if necessary. Their motto was deeds, not words. Medals like the one we are looking at today were given to suffragettes who had been imprisoned for their actions and were then subject to force feeding when they went on hunger strike. Overall, the medal is about 9cm long and 4cm wide. It consists of a short ribbon from which hangs a silver medal engraved with the words hunger strike. The ribbon is green, white and purple, the suffragette colours, and across it run five metal bars which give information about the force feedings that the owner was subjected to. The top bar reads, For Valour. Three of the others feature stripes of different colours, and the last is engraved with the date, November 24th, 1913. We spoke to Rachel Bowers, museum manager at Lancaster City Museum, to find out more about the suffragettes, the medal, and the woman it was awarded to. So here in Lancaster City Museum's local history gallery, we have a little display on the suffragettes, and one of the objects has always caught my eye. It's a medal, but not a military medal. It's got a metal circle at the bottom and in green lettering, you can just see the words hunger strike. And it was issued to a lady called Hilda Burkett in 1909. So a hunger strike was a tactic that was used by the suffragettes to gain attention to their cause and to say, we're not going to work with the prison authorities we're going to get as much attention as possible and so we're going to refuse to eat or drink. One of the reasons that the suffragettes chose to make this point was because they saw themselves as political prisoners but they were treated like common criminals so this was another way that they could raise their dissatisfaction at the way that they'd been treated and unfortunately the prison authorities with the support of the government decided they couldn't have these weak women fainting on them or making themselves ill. So instead, they would hold them down and forcibly feed them. And when you first hear it, you think, well, I suppose they had to eat something. Sure, you don't want people dying. But actually, the way that they did it was 
pretty much an act of torture in its own right. I've got a description from a woman who was force-fed. So she says, They fed me five weeks by the nose, and at the end of that time, my nose was what they call bit, the tube, and it would not pass into the throat, even though they bent it and twisted it into all kinds of shapes. Instead, it went up to the top of my nose and seemed to pierce my eyes. Then they forced my mouth open by inserting their fingers and cutting my gums, and the lining of my cheeks. When I was blind and mad with pain, they drove in two large gags. Then the tubes followed, and they pressed my tongue down with their fingers and pinched my nose to weaken the natural and also purposeful resistance of my throat. And that's from the suffragette Mary Richardson. So, essentially, they forced a tube up through the nose and down your gullet into your stomach. Sometimes they took a wrong turn and it would end up with liquid ending up on the women's lungs. So it caused not just incredible pain in the moment, you can imagine with all the struggling and the thrashing around, it also caused in many cases quite lifelong conditions that people never recovered from. And you do notice that a lot of the suffragettes didn't live particularly long lives. So who was Hilda Burkett, the woman that this medal was awarded to? Hilda Burkett was not local to this area. She'd been brought up in the Midlands, born in Wolverhampton in 1876, and she was the fifth of nine children. So she's from quite a large but also quite well-to-do family. And all nine of the children were really well educated, including the girls. As a child, her hobbies were reading, knitting and gardening. So there's nothing there really to hint that she's going to be some sort of a radical. But later on, when she was living with her sister Christabel, she became involved with the Women's Social and Political Union. And this was in 1907. So she went to hear Nell Kenny and later Emmeline Pankhurst speak. And when the WSPU opened a branch in Birmingham in 1908, she started working there and taking charge of the publicity campaign. So she became very involved in politics. The Women's Social and Political Union was active in campaigning for women to get the right to vote because at that time they didn't have the opportunity to vote. No women could vote at all. We have the medal because after her retirement... Hilda moved to Morecambe and retired with her sister. She was familiar with the area, however, because in her work as an organiser, she was at one time responsible for the Northwest region. So she would travel around, organise meetings, gather women together and listen to speakers. And that was how they got people interested. And who were the suffragettes, the group that Hilda was campaigning and organising for? The Suffragettes were women who were campaigning to have the right to vote. There were kind of broadly two groups. So there were the suffragettes and the suffragists. Suffrage is the vote, the right to speak. And initially, everybody who was campaigning for women to get the right to vote referred to themselves as a suffragist. However, a newspaper coined the term suffragette, which they meant as a bit of an insult, really. It's a diminutive. However, some of the women took it to be, frankly, a compliment. Like, that's what, that's who we want to be. And these women were typically the ones who were more militant in their approach. So there was a bit of a split. The suffragists carried on trying to get the vote through peaceful methods, through 
lobbying, writing letters, holding meetings with MPs. And the suffragettes decided, we've tried all that, it's not working. So direct action is what we need. Suffragists typically were more middle and upper class. Suffragettes appealed more to the working class women, although obviously they had quite a lot of middle class leaders and people among them. That division really was quite interesting because I think those people who went down the the suffragist route probably had a little bit more involvement and a bit more power and they could well believe that the system might work for them if they just went along with it. Whereas the suffragettes, a lot of them were working class and they saw that the system had no time for them and therefore there was no point trying to get their aims within the accepted rules of behaviour, you needed to be a bit more creative. And Hilda Burkett certainly was. (laughs) Next, Rachel told us about why Hilda Burkett was arrested and the sort of actions that she took in the name of getting women the vote. So she was arrested a few times. So in 1909, she was arrested because she threw a stone at the window of the Prime Minister, H.H. Asquith, at his train as it moved away from Birmingham New Street Station. He'd been in Birmingham for a budget meeting. It was supposed to be very well guarded by police, and it was. However, the suffragettes climbed onto a roof and hurled slates at him. And during her court appearances, Burkitt wasn't sorry for what she'd done and she emphasised that there was a political motivation. There was a reason why she was doing this. So she was quite quickly imprisoned, sent to Winston Green Prison and as they were taken to prison, she and the other suffragettes with her were singing, being defiant, threatening to assault prison authorities and saying that they wouldn't go into cells and they immediately went on hunger strike when they got there. She also took part in acts of vandalism. So in 1912, she was sentenced to four months imprisonment for window smashing, but she was released on medical grounds after going on hunger strike. And in November 1913, she was arrested in Leeds with another suffragette called Clara Givine, and she was arrested for attempting to burn down the grandstand of Leeds football ground. So we've come a long way from gardening and knitting. She goes on a bit of a vandalism spree in Suffolk in 1914. Starts off small with another suffragette called Florence Tunks. Together they set fire to two wheat stacks at a farm valued at £340. They then move on to Great Yarmouth and they set fire to the pavilion at the Britannia Pier. And then in Felixstowe they set fire to the Bath Hotel which causes 36 thousand pounds of damage. They chose to do those acts at a time of year when the hotels were unoccupied, it was very quiet, so they knew that they weren't going to harm anybody. But by damaging property, they were, you know, really drawing attention to their cause and saying, well, if you won't listen to us when we try and speak to you, when we bring you letters and petitions, this is what we're going to do next. And when they go to court for these acts, Hilda and Florence refuse to answer any questions and make a bit of a pantomime of sitting avoiding looking at the magistrates and instead they chat to each other and show their contempt for what's going on that's in 1914 
she obviously ends up in prison for that. But of course, with the coming of the First World War, the government feels that they need to really be concentrating on the war effort, and a lot of the suffragettes do as well. So they do end up agreeing that they will let suffragettes out of prison so long as they agree that they're not going to do any more militant acts. And a lot of the suffragettes put their effort into the war effort and trying to win the war in the hope that at the end of the war this solidarity is rewarded. We know from the medal that Hilda went on hunger strike and was force-fed, so we asked what was known about that aspect of her imprisonment. Her experience of being imprisoned at HM Prison Ipswich, she went on hunger strike then, and so she was force-fed during that period. Apparently she was being force-fed up to four times a day. And Hilda Burkett has the rather dubious honour of being the first suffragette to have been force-fed, and she was also the last to be force-fed in Holloway Prison. They began to move away from it because they could see that it was getting more sympathy for the suffragette cause than the authorities were happy with. The medal that we were looking at has a number of badges of sort of metal bars across it. And traditionally, you got a metal bar every time you were force-fed. Now, Hilda Burkett was force-fed 292 times, which is more than any other suffragette was force-fed and certainly more than there are metal bars to commemorate. So you cannot really imagine what sort of experience that must have been and also what a strong-minded woman she must have been to put up with that because I think most of us would go through it once and that would be enough. Her sister Ida Burkett was imprisoned and you know she was only imprisoned once in Holloway and, and after that she didn't commit any more militant acts. So you can see that many women were cowed by the treatment that they, they received, but Hilda must have been incredibly strong-minded. To finish off, we wanted to know what happened to the suffragettes and also to Hilda after World War One. During the war, most suffragettes campaigning ceased for them and they threw themselves into the war effort. So when the war finished, the contributions that women had made couldn't be overlooked entirely. And also there was a big change for working class men because the government recognised that a lot of men had been fighting for this ideal and they'd been promised that things would be different when they came back. It would be a new society of equals. So the representation of the People Act, which came into force in 1918, gave all men over the age of 21 the right to vote. So that's 21 million male voters in total. And it didn't give all women <laughs> the right to vote, but it gave women over the age of 30 who occupied a house or were married to a home occupier the vote. So that's 8.5 million women or about 40% of the women. And one of the reasons why voting was restricted still for women is because there were concerns about what would happen if you added a massive amount of women to the voter pool what would they do, these women, you know? So you need to wait until they're 30 years old at least so that, you know, they've had a bit more time to mature and make their minds up. Lloyd George also had a particular concern that women were naturally conservative. So as a liberal himself, he, he was a bit reluctant to just add a huge number of women to that voter pool. So by keeping it at these unequal levels, it meant that some women could vote, the sensible ones that are a bit older and hopefully you wouldn't be flooded with conservative voters. 
Another reason why he was concerned about just giving all women the vote is that a lot of men had died. So you didn't want to be in a situation where all of a sudden women voters were the main vote that you needed to go after and just everything had to be done to please the female voter. So this unequal way of giving women the vote helped to maintain some of the, the power balances. So women didn't get the vote on equal terms until 1928. During the war, Hilda got married to a man called Leonard Michener and it doesn't seem to have been a particularly successful marriage. They later had the marriage dissolved but she kept using his surname and we know that she worked as a confectioner and cake maker up until her retirement and that's when she moved to Morecambe to live with her sister Ida Burkett. So Ida had also had quite an interesting life as well. She'd been a photographer and later a nurse so they lived together and Hilda died in March 1955 in Lancashire. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of 100 Years, 100 Objects. We hope you will listen to some of our other episodes where we talk about everything from auroras to artists.